I wanted to just highlight to you. I want to read it to you. We'll put it up on the screen. That'll stay there for the rest of the message. Uh, I want to read this passage to you. If you know, uh, a lot of you know that Solomon wrote a lot of the Proverbs. He was a king of Israel. He was the son of David, who was the previous king before Solomon. King David's a pretty uh, uh, well-known king out of all the kings of Israel. And uh, Solomon was the one who came after David. It was his son. And uh, they say Solomon was the wisest person in the world. He certainly wrote a lot of incredible things. So here are some of those things he wrote. It says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, My son, um, do not forget my law. Even though it says 1 to 7, it actually is 1 to 8. My son, do not forget my law. Please realize this, both male and female there. My children, do not forget my law. It could read, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace, they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and men. Trust in the Lord. Come on. This must be one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, isn't it? Besides Psalm 23. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes and fear the Lord and depart from evil. And then verse 8, sometimes we stop at verse 7, but verse 8 says, it's a promise, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones, talking about your physical well-being. So this passage is interesting for many reasons, but if you were to, it's got so much structure in it, this first eight verses of this psalm, psalm through, uh, sorry, proverb. Proverbs 3. The structure is very clear. Verses 1 and 3 actually give you an umbrella over what the, the, the passage is actually saying. It's like this umbrella covering. It kind of sets the scene for what happens next in the passage. And of course, in, in, uh, in verse 1, it really says these. I'll abbreviate it. Don't forget my law. Keep my commandments. And then verse 3 says, be merciful and truthful. Love those type of things. Love mercy, love truth. So they're kind of the umbrella statements. And then, as a result of you doing that, we see, isn't God good? You know, if you do this, this happens. There's consequences, isn't there? And so verse 2 and verse 4 actually give you the consequences of doing verse 1 and 3. And verse 2 and 4, abbreviated, says you'll have long life and peace. And then, if that's not enough, you'll have favor with God and with other people. Think about that for a second. Long life, peace, good relationships with people, and a great relationship with God. That's the kind of thing you could put on your epitaph on your, on your tombstone, couldn't you? Lived a long life, loved God, loved people, and um, what was the other one? Had incredible peace throughout their lives. Isn't, isn't that actually something that you and I would probably all wish that if we could get to the end of our life? And, you know, long life, let's think about that. Average age of Australian male is 78. Average age of Australian female is about 80 plus a little bit. Um, so a long life would be 90. Would that be cool? Uh, wouldn't it be good to get 90 and still be able to be healthy and whole in every way? And then if that wasn't enough, you'd you know, have loved people, you've loved God, and you've got incredible peace. I think that when everything is said and done and you boil everything down, wouldn't we all want that? Yes. Wouldn't you want that more than riches or fame? Yes. Three of us. 
The others are thinking about it. I understand. But, you know, Solomon really does. And I mean, Solomon was the richest man in the world at the time as well. But he boils it down. He says, here, here it is. Verses 2 and 4. Long life, peace, love God, love people. Enjoy life that way. So uh, it's very good. But you know, then, then we see how do you do all that? Well, verse 5, 6, and 7 actually give us the how to. Solomon doesn't leave us just hanging and say, oh, this is nice. This is what you're going to have. But how do you do that? Well, he, just, he, he talks very clearly. And I'm not going to expand it right now. We will as time, as my message uh, is continued. But I want to just focus for one moment on verse 5 because I think it's a, there's a vital thought right there in verse 5 of this passage. It says, lean not into your own understanding. It says in this verse, to actual fact, lean away from your understanding at times in your life. And you may think, why would that be the case? That I'd have to, because we all need understanding. Understanding can be your thought processes, how you see things. Well, I think Solomon knew, and more importantly, God knew as he inspired the writer to write this, as Solomon spoke it, God knew that our understanding and our thought processes cannot always be right. Would that be true? And so there's times when you've got to lean away from those thought processes because they're not right. Um, there's times when you've got to kind of, you know, not lean into them, but lean away from them because our thoughts can be tainted by different things like stress and pressure and anxiety and worry and revenge and hatred and anger and whatever, all those type of things. And they're not good thoughts. In actual fact, they're thoughts that will destroy you and not strengthen you. So we see that Solomon says, uh, God says through Solomon, hey, there's times when you've got to lean away from your own understanding. You've got to lean. Because to lean literally means supporting oneself. And I find that in life sometimes we do kind of allow God to be on the sidelines and say, well, I can do it myself. Thank you very much. And I think that leaning... Away from your thoughts is not saying that you're weak. I just think it's actual fact of strength. You knowing there's someone greater with greater thoughts than you that you can tap into. So, and, and we've got to be careful because we can have mindsets. You know what mindsets are? There's things that have been set in our mind about certain situations. Sometimes they've been, they've been established because of what's happened in our past. If you've ever been bitten by a dog, for instance, when you were younger... You have a, might have a mindset that every dog bites. Is that true? Oh, it is? Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, right there with me. It's like, that's good. I remember getting, yeah, yeah. I remember being attacked by magpies when I was a little boy growing up. And I had a mindset for a while that every magpie is going to hit you in the head. Thankfully, as. As I've got older, I realize not every magpie can hit you if you wave your arms in the air. So, you know, we have mindsets that sometimes are not correct. Just because one thing happened in life doesn't mean life will unfold like that. Praise God for that. So, you know, we've got to steer away from our understanding because the mindsets have got to be broken, don't they? They've got to be broken sometimes of what we think has happened. So the truth is, this is not the end of the story it's not just about leaning away from something, it's about leaning into something. And I think that the greatest thing that we can lean into in 2017 is lean into Christ. To lean into Jesus Christ. 
it's an incredible, if you just, let's just drill down a second on that thought because there's a need to lean away from what destroys you and to lean into him that strengthens you. Lean into him. If there was ever some Bible examples in scripture, there's just so many. But do you remember there's a lady who had an had a, a, a unhealthy body for 12 years? In actual fact, she had a flow of blood for 12 years. And 12 years she spent, it says in scripture in Mark chapter 2, um, oh sorry, Mark chapter 9, that she spent all her livelihood on trying to get well. She went to doctor after doctor after doctor. Some of us can relate to that. Doctor, and yet she got worse, it says. Got worse. And she's desperate. And then she hears about this Jesus had came into Capernaum where she lived on the Sea of Galilee, right on the shoreline that city is. And Jesus was going through the main street and she thought, you know what? If only I could just even get close enough to, there would be healing. And as she got closer to Jesus, she realized there's a crowd around him. And so what she did was she said, I'm not going to give up. And so she pushed through the crowd somehow and she leaned into Christ and she just touched the edge of his garment by faith. And you know what? She was whole, made whole that very moment. What did she do? She leaned in. She leaned into Christ. There was five guys who were great friends. You know, they grew up playing footy together. I don't know, but you know, I'd like to think they did. Whatever they played in Israel. They too lived in Capernaum. One of them became paralyzed. Four of them were still healthy and well, and they thought the only way we can bring our friend to be able to get to the point where we can walk again is maybe we've heard about this Jesus. And Jesus was again in the city of Capernaum in Mark chapter 2 this time. And we see that what happened was is that they thought, let's get this, our friend, they were good mates. We're going to get our friend to Jesus. And so they put this friend on a, on a stretcher. And they went to the house where Jesus had been preaching, but you know, there was standing room only. It was jammed, literally jam-packed with people. They couldn't even get in, and no one wanted to give up their place to let these four guys in in a stretcher with a guy on it. They all wanted to maintain where they were so they could hear what Jesus was speaking. So these guys didn't turn around and go home. They were good mates. They decided they'd do something, went up on the roof. You know the story. Whatever the roof was made of, they took away the parts. Maybe it was um, they broke through or they took away the tiles. I don't know, but they took it away so there was a sizable hole. And you know, a hole big enough for a man and a stretcher to go through. Who knows that's a big hole? And who knows the people inside would have been looking up long before they made all the, all the way through because it would have been creating such a ruckus. Finally, they let this man down. And interesting, isn't it? As they let him down in front of Jesus, Jesus looks at the man. And then it says, Jesus literally looked up and he, and he saw these four guys leaning over the edge of the hole and he saw their faith and he healed the guy. It wasn't even the faith of the guy on the stretcher. It was their faith, because why? They were leaning into Christ. Saying, this Jesus, he's our only hope for our mate. What do they do? They were leaning into Christ. I want to tell you, our God longs for you to lean into him. Because there is wholeness, there's this health, there's a future, there's a hope in everything we face. Paul actually says to a group of Christians at Philippi, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, you know there's one thing I'm going to do, Paul said one day, he wrote it there in verse 13 and 14 of Philippians chapter 3. He says there's one thing. He's, there's many things I do do, but there's one thing I'm going to make sure I do. Is this is what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to forget those things which are behind. There is break the old mindsets. Forget those things which are behind. And reaching forward to those things which are ahead, which literally means to be straining and leaning forward to those things which are ahead. 
Why? Verse 14 says this. It says, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here we go. Paul says, you know what you need to do? You need to reach forward, strain, lean into. That's what it can be like sometimes. Reaching to grab that which you know is so precious and so much of a heavenly treasure and not just an earthly one. So, in saying that, can we look at this passage? And in the light of this passage, I want to use an acronym. You know what an acronym is? It's a word using every letter to proclaim a thought. We'll use the word lean. Is that okay? L-E-A-N. Four letters, four points. It's an acronym. And every letter represents something powerful about the principle of leaning into Christ. You might not have thought it this way before. I hope this is something that you can help you to remember and retain. And if we look at this word lean, the first letter is L. Now, what word could you have from that letter? Many things. But my word this morning for the word L is look. Look, really simple. Really, just look. There is a saying that my parents told me, son, you need to look before you... Yeah. It was a good thought. Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. And I came off second best. But I learned over time that you need to look before you leap because the meaning is look where you're going to land. Doesn't that make sense? Common sense, isn't it? It can also mean to have a look at what you're about to do. It means to pause. It means to stop for a moment. Just consider, is this a good choice? Is this a good life choice about what you're about to do? Look, look, just take a look. And if sometimes you stopped and took a look, Maybe you wouldn't do it, what you're about to do, or maybe you would continue because you think this is a good thing and it and looks okay. I remember as a young man at the age of 18, I knew the age because I remember the time. I remember it was, an, it was uh, uh, about 7 o'clock at night. I'd, uh, after my school days, I'd received an apprenticeship with the Queen's Electricity Commission, and they uh, had gathered, uh, they'd employed about 90 young men from around, uh, around Queensland. And they gathered us in Brisbane. And they put us in a place at the, in the Valley of Brisbane. Who knows Brunswick Street, Brisbane? Some of us do. We lived at one end of the, they put us in this boarding house to go to college there for a period of time. They wanted to give us some intense training in, in our apprenticeships. And so they put us in a boarding house, a whole bunch of us. Um, in actual fact, there weren't all 90 there at the one time. There was about 30 of us because they staggered the, the, all of us going at different times. So we lived at one end of the Brunswick Street in the valley, was there. And this is uh, quite a few years ago. Uh, if they'd thought about it, they wouldn't have put a bunch of young men in the valley. <laughs> but anyway, for those of you who don't know the Valley of Brisbane, uh, Google it and you'll find it. it's not the most desirable place. So at the other end of the valley was this bicentennial, bicentennial pool, the valley pool at the top end. Some of us might know about it. So in the afternoon after college, we'd get home about five, we'd have dinner about six, and we'd walk to the pool because we just wanted in summer and wanted to have a swim. Now, we're from the country, most of us, and so we'd never seen a pool so big. It was a big 100-metre-long pool, 50-metre, sorry, pool. They don't build 100-metre pools. But what they did have is they had a diving pool. We'd never seen a diving pool. They had a little 1-metre, 2-metre, and then they had the 10-metre platform. Now, the 10-metre platform, I'd never seen one of those before as an 18-year-old. I'd be lived in the country. And the thing amongst us guys became the point is that we would dare each other to jump off the 10 meter because if you could do it, you're okay, you're cool, you're in. If you didn't, I'd, you know, it was okay still, you're accepted. But the reality was, is, you know, we were trying to be men, not boys anymore. 
So we all had a look. And I remember some of the guys climbing the ladder up to the valley pool, 10-metre platform, and they'd come, and some of them would look over the edge, and some would uh, climb back down again. Some of them wouldn't even look. They just would take a run and just jump. They thought, you know, there's no need in getting scared. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. I climbed eventually. The day came for me to climb the platform. <laughs> I got to the top, and I thought, I'm not going to run and jump. I'm going to go and have a look. So I went to the edge of the platform. I looked over. There was a couple things I was looking for. I was mildly scared, to say the least. Number one thought was, I hope they haven't drained the pill since I climbed up here. <laughs> I had that thought. Don't be silly. When you're scared, you think of a lot of things. Secondly, is that, still, is that water I see? I think it is. Thirdly, is I wanted to see where I was going to land. And I'd worked out by now, after about seven guys jumping, that you don't jump face first, you jump feet first, and you cross your legs. There has been some pain inflicted upon several of my friends. I also worked out that when you jump, you make sure that no one else is under you. <laughs> some of them jumped on top of each other. So I, 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 had a, you know, I leaned out over the edge and I had a look. And as I looked, I could see it was pretty safe. And I did jump in the end. But you know what? The reality is, is I, think, I think God says to us, would you just sometimes look before you're about to do something that you would regret later on? Would you just take a pause in life? Would you just, if you're going to lean into Christ, I think it's about looking first. Because Christ gives us, he, he has great, wonderful desires for us and purposes for us, but he even asks us just to pause. Sometimes he says it in scripture like this, just wait upon the Lord and you, you know, just pause for a moment, just take a look before you make those decisions. And you know what I've discovered when you take a pause and you give him time and you do, you, you find that you start to actually make better decisions. Because the decisions you make today, what will they look like in five hours' time? What will they, the decisions you make today, what are they going to look like in five months or five years? Because it, it, it's what your future is. You know, right today, is today the way you are is because of the decisions you made sometimes five years ago. Maybe you made a New Year's resolution, I'm going to get fitter, I'm going to lose weight or whatever it may be. We sometimes make those decisions at the start of years. Well, they're good decisions. But you know what? It's a decision you need to make and realise that if you, it'll influence you down the track and what it will look like. Let's realise it doesn't come today, but it will come. And, and maybe what you, where you are today is because of what you've made Five months ago, the decisions. So today, wouldn't it be common sense to make good decisions and pause and wait and think, I just need to weigh up. I need to look, lean into, lean over the edge and have a look and see where I'm going to land. See where I'm going to land. And I think it's incredible that God just says, come on. In actual fact, in verse 6 here, you look at this, in all your ways acknowledge him. The word acknowledge actually means to consider by seeing or looking. In all your ways, acknowledge him. It's saying, in all your ways, look at the one who has the knowledge. That's what it's saying. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Look at the one who has the knowledge. Uh, and it's not just, uh, and it, 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 he's the one. And sometimes I, 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 in my life, what I've had is I've gained my knowledge and run off in my understanding and come, uh, uh, and come to a 
you know, a, a pretty full stop sometimes and a bit of a crash and a bit of a disaster and a bit of a crisis. But when I've taken the time to acknowledge him or look into him, I find a little bit of wisdom prevails and I do it a lot better. So he says, come on. And it just doesn't say acknowledge him. It says in all your ways acknowledge him. It's not just some ways. It's all our ways. So here we go. It's not just about some ways. It's about all our ways of living, getting up and breathing and working and school and college or, or family. It's all our ways. Acknowledge him. How easy it can be to sometimes depend upon experience of the past to say, I know what to do about this. And we move off into what we've experienced and how we've handled it before. And we find the circumstances are not like before. And thus it has changed. And if only we'd paused for a moment and had a look. Hebrews 12.2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, looking unto Jesus. The, you know, we sometimes read that passage in Hebrews 12.2 and we assume the verse is talking about, well, Jesus started my life and he'll end it. No, it's not just about that. It's actual fact. An author writes the story and keeps on writing it until it is finished. So if Jesus is the author of our lives, he wants to be there all the way through. He wants to write the story. Give him a chance to write your story by observing, acknowledging him all the way through. All your ways, acknowledge him. He wants to write a good story. It says in Jeremiah, he wants to bless you and not curse you, to give you a hope and a future. That's a good author, isn't it? That's the author we serve. And the interesting thing is, if we acknowledge him in all our ways, the promise is that God shall direct our paths. And you know what it says it then says um, that you know, even before that, um, it says, if, what's the verse say? If you do, he'll direct your paths. And then it says, uh, it will actually be, now I'll use that the, last, the next point. I won't use it now. But it just says in, uh, in Psalm 5.3, listen to this thought. My voice, this is the psalmist writing. He says, my voice, Psalm 5.3, write it down. My voice shall hear in the morning, O Lord. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. And guess what? It will be directed towards you. And then the psalmist says this, and I will look up. Do you know what that verse is saying? It's saying, you know, in the morning, God, I'm going to talk to you about my life. Now, you mightn't necessarily have the morning. You might be a night person. That's fine. But sometime in the day, you're going to just say, God, I'm just going to give you the download on what's, what's been uploaded into my life, and I just need wisdom about it. And you know, the psalmist says, when I've done all that, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pause, and I'm just going to look up. Just for a moment, I'm going to look, and I'm going to pause, I'm going to think. And you know, I've discovered that God, that he wants to direct our paths. And you know, he could direct your paths through Bible, advice of godly Christians, through the marvelous, marvelous converging of circumstances, through the inward peace of the Holy Spirit, or he could use a combination of them, but he does want to speak to your heart. He does want to direct your paths, 2017, and it just takes a pause, a moment, a look Where are we up to? L, E. What word could you use for E? Here's another way to lean into Jesus Christ this year. Elevate. Elevate him above yourself. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. Look at verse 7 here. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Uh, 
Do you know there's nothing wrong with being wise? Nothing wrong. In actual fact, God encourages wisdom in our life. He's the one who actually says, if you lack wisdom, come and ask of God. He'll give it freely. I love that. It just says, don't be wise in your own eyes. And the word eyes literally could be translated in another English word. So they just chose to use eyes, but they could have put conceited, self-important, arrogance, smugness, or superiority. superiority. In other words, don't be wise in your own self-importance. I'm not talking about not having confidence. I'm talking about God gives you incredible confidence. It's just not thinking, well, the superior self-importance. Don't be wise in your own self-importance or don't be wise in your own arrogance. Because it doesn't take you where you need to go. You know what destroys more people who are Christians than anything else in the world? When they run off on their own self-importance. It makes us unpliable to any suggestions of change. It makes us resistant to any need to consider another way. It just makes us unflexible. Well, I know what I need to do. Sometimes we say, I know what I need to do. And God, I'll let you tag along if I feel like it. No, no, he knows what we need to do and we need to follow him. That's what disciples are, aren't they? Followers. I see precious people today and even Christian people, they're not followers. They're, they're just self-important and self-allotted. Um, they just allot themselves some self-important. Unfortunately, wander off and the devil has a field day. It destroys them, their life, their family, their future. And I feel so sad as a pastor for those people. We've got to not be wise. You know? We've got to elevate Christ above ourselves. We've got to realize, like John the Baptist, may he increase and may I decrease. That's my old man, my old selfish parts. Ultimately, God builds confidence in you and makes you a vibrant person. You don't walk around like a wimp. You walk around confident and bold in him. But you're surrendered inside to the living Christ. King David, if there was ever an example of a man who blew it but didn't blow it, if that makes sense to you. There was two men, actually. There was, there was there was the guy before King David. There was King Saul, who was his, just a king of Israel who was appointed. And then there was King David. If you were to look at David's resume of life, you would think, wow, failed, failed pretty badly. And you know he, he was involved in adultery and he was involved in murder. Um, the guy just didn't cut it, did he? he? He didn't do too well in life and yet... We see David's saving grace was his surrendered heart. And it says in, in Psalm 51, David says, I acknowledge my wrongs, God. And then in verse 10, a little bit further, he says, God, would you just create in me a clean heart? David was in, had incredible authority, incredible confidence in God, and yet he had a surrendered heart. God actually said to him, there's a man after my own heart. And that was his saving grace, and that's why he became a great king. And he, 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 he finished well. He finished well, David. He died knowing his God and God knowing him. And he passed on a great kingdom to his son Solomon, who wrote these words, of course, in Proverbs. But the king before David was Saul. He started very humble. Very humbly, he started his life. But unfortunately, that there was a fast-paced lifestyle as a king, and he moved into arrogance and self-importance very quickly. And we see, even though he never committed adultery, he never committed murder at that stage. He was later on. 
Yet it, and yet this man, it got to a point where he was so encompassed with himself, he, he went to God and inquired of God what he should do, and yet God wouldn't answer because of his hard heart towards God. And he even, and Saul goes and you know, consults with a medium, a fortune teller, to find out what he should do. And what a pain that must have been uh, for God to see Saul do what he had to do. He became so self-absorbed. His heart became proud. He, long, he no longer knew how to surrender to God in prayer. And unfortunately, his life came crashing down and he failed and he finished badly. Saul finished badly, David finished well, and yet David, all, all intentional purposes, had more failures than Saul in some ways. So what's it talk about? It talks about just humility. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Folks, we've got to elevate Christ in our life continually. And you know when, that, when we want to kind of push Christ off the throne of our life and we're really tempted just to sit there ourselves, it's those times that we've got to knuckle down and say, no way, I can't allow me to sit there when I need Christ to sit on the throne of my life. I want to tell you, life goes better with him on the throne. What letter are we up to? A. Here's the third letter. If we want to lean into Christ, 2017, not only do we need to look and take a pause, not only do we need to, um, what was the second letter? <laughs> e, elevate Christ above ourselves, but we need to, A, we need to aggravate the devil. Now you say, just wait a second, how do you aggravate the devil? You don't do anything. You actually just don't even listen to him. You don't even respond to him because when you don't respond and when you don't listen to his suggestions, his, his, his innuendos, his, his insinuations, his, his, all the stuff that he wants to lay on you, when you don't listen to that, he gets totally aggravated. And that's good because you know that he's, uh, he is nothing in your life. The thing that you, how do you aggravate the devil? How do you upset him most? Ignore him. Ignore him. See verse 7, it says, Come on, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Did you notice that the word devil and the word evil are just, there's D-E-V-I-L, evil is E-V-I-L. It's just one letter difference. It's the letter D and it means depart. So whenever you see the name devil or you ever think of the name devil, just remember this, D stands for depart, evil. Works for me. <laughs> James actually says this, there's a guy in the Bible called James. He says, submit to God, resist the devil, and the devil's got to flee. He'll actually depart from you. How do you make him aggravated? Just ignore him. Ignore him. Ignore the suggestions, like fear. Ignore the suggestions of sorrow, envy, resentment, hatred, guilt, and other emotional stresses which, you, which want to come upon you, which he wants to put upon you. Ignore them. Now, you might say, well, that's not easy sometimes. Circumstances trying to dictate to me, or that's what you need to say. He just uses circumstances. Don't let them dictate to you. And I know there's a process of learning how to do that. I'm not suggesting for a moment that we're all just going to be incredibly peaceful and float through life and all hell is breaking loose around us. I know that doesn't happen like that. But the reality is don't listen to the lie. <laughs> Come on, stop listening to it. Is there fear of what might happen today? Have you got some fear? Stop fearing it. Because I've discovered that 70% of our fears never happen anyway. Here's an interesting thing. Did you know that 60% of our physical illness, 
scientifically, they've discovered that 60% of all illnesses are because of guilt, hatred, resentment, envy, fear, and emotional stresses. Wow. In actual fact, this passage agrees. Because look at verse 8. It says, if you are not wise in your own eyes and you fear the Lord and depart from evil, it says it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. In other words, you'll have better physical health. You won't fear. You won't worry. You won't have ulcers. You'll have a better peace in your heart. Amen. I reckon that's the best news you've heard all day. (laughs) Don't, give him, don't listen to his suggestions. You don't give him any traction in your life. But you say, oh, I get bombarded. Well, put more of him, of Jesus in yourself than you do of the suggestions of the devil. I often find if I'm being bombarded, it's because I've got more of the devil's suggestions than of God's. <laughs> You've got to swap it around. You've got to bring the balance back to, in your favor. 1 John 3, 8 says, The Son of God was manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. And if Christ is manifest in us, then surely my commission by Christ is me to be also destroy the works of the evil one. He needs some help, and you're the one who can do it. You're the one who can do it. You're the one. Jesus says, come on. I think we've been manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. And you know how you do it? Ignore him. He's an attention seeker, folks. He wants your attention. Don't give it to him, and he has to flee. All the thoughts, all the concerns, all the worries. What are we up to? N. L stands for look. E stands for elevate. Next letter. Aggravate the devil. And the last letter is N. It just simply is this. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Proverbs 3.1 says this, the verse verse on the screen. Do not forget my law. Let your heart keep my commandments. The words don't forget and the words keep have association with the words endurance and never giving up. Never giving up. Come on. And you know, the truth is you're here because you haven't given up. You're here this morning because you haven't given up. But maybe in your heart there's some times in the future that'll come and you just think, I've had enough. I'll just give up. And we live in a society that pressures you and I to give up. Give up your marriage. Give up your job. Give up your faithfulness. Just give up. You know what God really honors is faithfulness and never giving up. It doesn't mean that it's going to be all just incredible. You're going to walk on water every day. No, but it does mean that sometimes you will. Because that's the kind of God we serve. But most of the time, you're going to have to be in the boat and not walking on water. But it's okay. Because it says Jesus was in the boat asleep as well. Luke 9 says, don't put your hand to the plow. If you're going to look back, don't look back. Don't look back to the old mindsets. Don't look back to the, you know, because our human spirit becomes distracted in those times when we're pushing through and we're just oh, we're trying to not give up and we become distracted or that extra moment we have to endure seems so hard and we want things different, but the different things don't come and by just, you know, an instant gratification comes by not giving up and pushing through. Endurance is not a moment or an event. Is that true? It's a process of time. The Bible actually says this. Paul actually says and um, in 2 Timothy, he says, Endure and you will reign with him. 
That's good news. Endure. Now, some of us would like that to say, yeah, just pray one prayer and you'll reign with him. You will instantaneously, but the reality is it just... It, see, endurance is more than one prayer. Endurance is, is, is more than one thought. Endurance is, is more than um, just uh, you know, um, one thing that happens. No, endurance is continue, continue, continue. Just keep on. I love it when God breaks through and there's incredible things and miracles happen. I want more of that. I want more of the Holy Ghost. I want his power to flow. But you know what? Between those times, I know that it's going to take me waiting upon him and just enduring some time so I can reign. Does anybody here understand that? Endurance or never giving up means to carry on despite the fact that you got hurt that you ran out of money, that someone said something nasty, the fact that your prayer didn't get answered straight away, and the fact that we got sick and we thought we shouldn't get sick, and when we did get sick, and endurance means saying, God, I'm still going to trust you. Endurance means to carry on despite the hardship or to carry on through. And you know, the, the interesting thing that I found that people want to reign. We want to reign in life. We want to enjoy life. I want that. You want that. We want to get to the end of life and say, yeah, 90, love people, love God and got peace in my heart. That's, that's wonderful. But you know, we don't reign until we endure. It comes through enduring. It's never giving up. Sometimes I want it to happen straight away. I want it to happen. In actual fact, the instant things of life that happen that are good to us sometimes don't last. It's the enduring things that we build and strengthen that really do last. It's the marriages that are maybe gone through the, the bumps and you know, the things of life and yet endured and come out loving one another that last. It's, the, it's, it's those jobs that sometimes are hard, but you say, you know what, I'm going to stick at it, that you stick at it and, and you endure and you learn something and, you, and you, it, just, it's, it just becomes a great job. So, you know, there's things that we need to realize, endure. There's a wonderful story I read just recently about a 12-year-old girl. She lived in, um, let me get the place, Rochester in New York, in a suburb of New York. And this little girl of 12, endearing story. She signed up to, to run a five-kilometer race. Five-kilometer race. She'd been running for two weeks. She discovered this wonderful thing of having a run and a jog, and she was enjoying it so much that she decided to sign up for a five-kilometer fun run, which is a really fun, crazy thing to call a, a run because there's not a lot of fun in running sometimes, but they call them fun runs. And so she signed up, and her mother and her, and her were running a little bit late that morning, and she, they were a bit behind, so they quickly drove to the, to the start line of the race. And already the, the runners were lining up at the at the start line and so she jumped out of the car and she ran over to the runners and she parked herself there and within moments, probably seconds, the gun went off and off she took on the race. Her mother then went to the finish line of the five kilometre race because she wanted to congratulate her daughter on finishing her very first five kilometre race. And remember, she's only been running for a couple of weeks. And all the people came home over the line and everybody was cheering and even the stragglers had come and you know what? Her daughter didn't turn up. She waited a little longer and her daughter still didn't turn up and she finally thought something has gone wrong and she started to worry as a mother should and would worry. So for two hours she contacted the police and for two hours they looked for her daughter. They found her daughter standing beside a policeman with a medal around her neck 
And on the medal, it said, half marathon finisher. Half marathon is just over 21 kilometers. It's a lot more than five, would you agree? This little girl, interesting enough, it turns out that when she arrived at the starting line earlier that morning at seven o'clock, she was in the right place at the wrong time. The marathon started at seven. Her race of five kilometers started at 7.15. She automatically thought, this is the race I'm going to be in, and she took off with all the marathon runners. It wasn't until she got to the, around the 13-kilometer mark that she realized she wasn't in a 5K-kilometer race. And she got enough courage to ask another person around her, how long is this race? And the person said, oh, this is the half marathon, 21.2 kilometers. She says, I thought it was the 5K. The person beside her said, oh, well, what are you going to do? She says, you know what? I've come this far. I might as well go the rest of the way. And thus her mum found her at the end, several hours later, with a big smile. And a policeman looking for her mother. If I told you that a 12-year-old girl who had, a, who had only started running two weeks ago had signed up to run a half marathon, what odds would you give her of finishing? What odds would you give her? And for that, and for matter of fact, what, what odds would you give yourself to finish your race? Would they be better odds or worse odds? Now here today, it's easy for me to say, man, I'm committed to the race. But I've run 16K, so I haven't run 21 yet. I mean, I got to that 16K mark and I said, wow, this is hard. I'm going to run a 21 one day, but it's, it'll be hard. And when, it's easy when we're sitting comfortable air conditioned, but when we get in the race and, 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 and life gets a little bit more difficult and there's some struggles and you hear the whisper of Jesus saying, come on, don't give up. That's the time to push on. Don't listen to the suggestions of the enemy. This is all too much. And when you're in that race, and maybe sometimes you're in that race and you find out there's an unexpected things are happening in that race, you never signed up, you thought, for this race. And that really means that it's either too long or there's some hard things you've had to face. And you thought, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> there's an under you know, I signed up for the 5K, not the 21.2 kilometer K. What are you going to do? You're going to pull out and never see the finish line? Or are you going to lean in and keep on running? You know what about God? You don't have to do it fast. You just got to finish. You can even crawl and that'll be a victory. Everyone gets a medal, whether you crawl across the finish line or whether you sprint across. Sometimes we think, oh, I've got to do it in style. No, you just got to be there. You just got to keep on going. That's what the turtle or the tortoise said to the Hair, didn't he? I just kept on going. Never give up. Keep running through the disappointments. Keep running when the emotion wants to stop you and reap the satisfaction of knowing the finish line. It's a great place to land the finish line. I was um, in November last year, I was 
uh, I, went to, I, I go to a r- little running club on a Tuesday afternoon. There's about 30 people, 40 people, and, and they have a coach uh, there, and, and we pay our $2 every Tuesday afternoon, and, he, and we, we, we run around a circuit, and he, sometimes we'll run a, a K, and then sometimes we'll slow down, and we'll just run a 100-meter sprint or do a slow K or, or we'll do a, a little walk. Or, it, we just, he, he mixes it up, and sometimes he takes pictures, and not. And he gives you feedback on your running style. And last November, he gave me some feedback on my running style. He took a picture and he showed me. And he talked to me. He says, can I just talk to you about your running style? I said, certainly can. What do you got for me? And he said, you know, you've got a great stride. And he showed me. There I was. He'd recorded it on his phone as I run past him. He said, you've got a great stride. But one thing you're lacking is you need to lean. These are the words. Quote, you need to lean forward as you run. I'm thinking, how do you do that? He said, your posture's back too much. Chariots of fire. I thought, well, I'm the chariot of fire guy. He said, no, 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 you've got to... He said, you're doing well. He was, he was an encourager, but he was trying to better me. He said, you've got to lean forward as you run. I don't think I've accomplished it yet. <laughs> Folks, God would say to you today, lean forward into Christ. Lean into Christ. No matter, you know, I think that one of our biggest problems is time. So distracted, so busy, so caught up. I find that when I lean into Christ, I have more time to do the important things than as if I didn't give him the time. And then I get caught up in all types of things that aren't really that important. Does that make sense? Lean. Look and pause for a moment. E, elevate Christ above ourselves. Walk humbly before our God. A, aggravate the devil by ignoring him completely and every suggestion he would try and bring into your mind. And lastly, and never give up, especially when the race throws up unexpected circumstances. And it seems like it's a bit longer than you had planned for. And it's got a few more speed bumps than you'd wish it had. Can we stand this morning?